2 Kings chapter number 4. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. Actually, when Pastor called me today, well, he called, left me a voicemail. I didn't wake up. I woke up and saw I had a text message from him asking if I could preach tonight. And uh, so I texted back, sure, I can. And uh, laid back down. It took me about 15 minutes to fall asleep. Amy was gone at a picnic with a friend. So the house was real quiet. And I was laying there thinking, what should I preach about tonight? I'm not ready to preach. And as I was laying there, 2 Kings 4 came to mind. And I said, 2 Kings 4. That's the story of the poor widow. And I thought, that's a bit a great place to, to preach tonight. So the fact that it came to me while I was laying there trying to find something to preach on, I think the Lord gave it to me to preach tonight, so we're going to do that. 2 Kings 4, we're going to begin in verse 1 and go down through verse number 7. The Bible says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen, slaves. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what is thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her. Who brought the vessels to her? And she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So we have here uh, one of the great stories of the Old Testament of God's provision for his people. Um, We need to remember this. It's easy to forget, right? We live in a modern day. In the modern day, uh, we don't really rely... What's the word I'm looking for? The, well, the world looks for a rational explanation for everything, don't they? Right? They're not people of faith. Okay? Uh, they look to explain everything away. And unfortunately, I, I feel like in the, in the age of the 21st century... Christians are just as eager to explain things away as the world is. We want a comfortable answer, right? Um, A supernatural answer makes us uncomfortable because we can't control the supernatural, right? And we, as 21st century Americans, if anything, pride ourselves in our control of everything. So if it's out of our control, it makes us uncomfortable, so we begin to explain away, well, you know, you, you have an answer to prayer, and you, you tell somebody, well, this, this answer to prayer came, and they're like, well, that probably would happen anyways, or that happened because this, right, we're, we're not quick to just say, hey, praise the Lord, what an amazing miracle that God did, right, God provided this need, you know, we don't do that nowadays, nowadays we just say, well, there was some other explanation, because it makes us more comfortable, but God has always provided for his people, always, and a lot of times, he does it through natural means in a supernatural way, right? So, like, um, it's not unusual to be fed with 
regular food, is it? Now, manna, that was a little bit different, right? That was all supernatural, right? It was like the whole food was supernatural, right? But like when Elijah was fed by the ravens, that was just regular food, right? It was a regular means of provision, but it was brought to him by a bird. Now, that's unusual. So a lot of times God brings us answers to prayer or needs in a natural way through supernatural means. Does that make sense? But then we start to explain away the supernatural means be like, well, that would have happened anyways. Or I mentioned to him last week that I had this need. And, and we find ways to explain it to where we're more comfortable. But God has always been mindful of the needs of his people. Matthew 6, 26 says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And then he goes on to say, Are ye not much better than they? So Jesus is saying in that passage, he's talking about don't worry about your life. Like, don't worry about the things of this world. That's that famous passage where he says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things we added to you. What are these things? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we put on? Right? So if we give our lives to worry about all these worldly things, earthly things, important things, Right? We're not going to seek the kingdom of God. There's a lot of Christians today who are seeking the nicer stuff to put on, the bigger house, the nicer car, the bigger bank account, right? They're seeking more stuff, more. They find their security not in God's provision, but in what they can accumulate and control themselves. And Jesus is arguing that. He's saying, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. You know why? Because uh, Solomon... Right? The king, the rich king, the guy who in Ecclesiastes said, I withheld nothing from myself that I wanted. Right? He just lavished himself up. And Jesus said, "Those, those flowers that grow in the field, your heavenly father clothes them. And Solomon, in all of his beauty, was not as beautiful as those. And you know what's funny is? Most of the flowers growing in the field, nobody ever sees. You realize how little of our earth is actually populated? Like there are trees and bushes and flowers growing that man never lays an eye on. But God clothes them in beauty for his own glory because he enjoys it. They're more beautiful than all the Solomon could give to himself. And God does that. So why are we, why are we forsaking God and his kingdom to go seeking after these things? Right? And so like, like well... Uh, we, we've got to eat, we've got to eat, right? We've got, we've got to take care of our families. I can't just seek the kingdom of God because what's going to happen to my family? And God's like, Jesus is like, God, he, he feeds the birds, right? He feed, they don't work nine to five. They don't clock in and clock out and get money, right? They have to get up in the morning and they have to rely on God to provide them food. And he feeds them without fail. And then he's like, aren't you more important than they? Aren't you better than a bird? And God takes care of the bird, so why are we giving our lives to to take care of ourselves when God's going to do it? That's why he says, seek the first kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things, all of the things that we're caring about in this world, they'll be added to us. He's going to take it. So let me me paraphrase that, that passage. What Jesus is saying is, don't give your life to seek after the things of this world, but to seek the kingdom of God, and God will provide you the things you need in this world to make it so you can seek after his kingdom. That's what he's saying. God has always been mindful of his people. 
Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Not only is God mindful of his people, but God cares for the poor. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 says, If there be any among you, uh, if there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within thy gates, in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from the poor brother. Proverbs 19.17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that at which he hath given, he will pay him again. Proverbs 22.9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. God cares for widows. Isaiah 1.17, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Psalm 68.5, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146.9, the Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, uh, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. In our text, we have a mix of all three, don't we? We have a godly woman who's poor and who's widowed. What we're going to see is that God cares for his people. God cares for the poor. God cares for the widow. He's going to provide what she needs. So what I want to do is I want to kind of walk through the text tonight, look at it, and then make application at the end. So verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. It's clear from the verse that Elisha knew this man. Knew this man. She said, Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. So Elisha knew her husband. Jewish tradition held that this is the widow of the that this widow is the wife of Obadiah, who hid the prophets in a cave during the days of Ahab. You remember the story? He hid the prophets in the cave in groups of fifty, right? To protect them during the days of Ahab the king. Josephus, the Jewish historian, believed this debt. Uh, that she ha- that she has in re- that he incurred that he passed on to his wife uh, was incurred by feeding those prophets in their time of need. In other words, he took care of these prophets that he hid in these caves, and because of taking care of the the, the, the men of God, they were now in debt. Josephus also taught that the creditor was Jehoram, the son of Ahab. It was custom in these days that if you had a debt that you couldn't pay, they would take your children to be slaves. They would work off the debt that you owed. So now this creditor is calling her debt. Her husband is dead. He can no longer provide for the family. He, he, he got into debt doing the will of God, doing the work of God to protect the prophets of God, right? And now this creditor is saying, I'm going to come. If you don't have money, I'm going to come and I'm going to take your sons to be my slaves. And so now she has not only the burden of debt, the burden of a lost husband, but she also has the burden now of possibly losing her two sons. One lesson from this text is we need to be careful about leaving our families the burden of debt. We do. We need to be mindful of that. Uh, I know we easily go into debt thinking we'll live long enough to pay it off, but we're forgetting the important truth from the book of James. James 4.14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. Now, I'm not saying that this husband of hers, uh, if it was Obadiah, I'm not saying that this husband of hers was in sin necessarily. I mean, he was taking care of the prophets of God. 
He was, he was feeding them when they were hiding from the evil king. I understand all that. But I think the lesson for us in 21st century America is don't cover ourselves in debt to leave to our family, right? Don't cover ourselves in debt and say, I'll take care of it. I have a long life ahead of me. We don't know that. We don't know when death is coming. Be mindful of that. Secondly, verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. So Elisha was a poor prophet himself. Uh, he had nothing to help her with. He asks if she has anything of value in her house that she could live off of and sell. She tells him that she has only a single pot of oil. This tells me that she probably already sold everything she already had in the house to pay some of her bills as it was. Okay. Um, one important lesson I think we get from that is God's miracles of provision are not intended to replace our efforts of hard work. Okay. Um, we are commanded to work and provide for our families. And yet God has promised to meet our needs. Uh, I think it's in Ephesians. I didn't write it down, but I think it's in Ephesians. It says, uh, let the thief, let the one that stole steal no more, but let him labor working with, with his, old, his own hands, the thing which is good, that he may give to, then he may have to give to those who have need. Or, or I'm, I'm probably misquoting it. I think it's Ephesians chapter 4 or 5. But anyways, what he's saying is he should work, right, not to provide for his family. He should work to give to those in need, right? And if he gives to those in need, his needs will be met. That, that's that whole seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, right? So we should work. We should do our part. This man, this husband, he took care of these prophets who were in hiding, right? Then he dies. He leaves his debt to the wife. And the wife doesn't just go, okay, I'm going to go now and see if I can get a miracle from God. No, she sells what she has in her house. She's able to part with some things. She's able to make some money. And then when she's destitute, she comes to the prophet and says, hey, I'm destitute. I need something from the Lord. Okay. Um, that's the problem with the, with, the, with the word of faith teaching today is they, they take God's provision and it's like, you don't have to work anymore. Just sit down in that cat. I can claim it for yourself and God will give it to you. That's God's miracles are not to make us rich. Okay. They're not to replace our work. I'm not to sit at home, right. And do nothing and be like, God will provide my needs. No, I'm to be faithful to work, to do what I'm supposed to do, knowing that God's going to meet my needs and never leave me destitute. And at the same time, I should be giving what I make, right? I should be giving my, my money to help those in need, like the prophets that were in the cave, right? And knowing that God's going to take care of me in the end. So God's miracles are not a, a replacement for our being faithful and working. We work and we trust God, right? We work, we pay our bills. And you know what happens a lot of times? We can't pay our bills. You know what happens then? That's where God's provision steps in. It's where God meets our needs, provides things that we need. Verse 3, then he said, Go borrow the, the, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. So she was so destitute, she didn't even have an empty jar in the house, probably already having sold them to get by. He told her to ask for empty jars because neighbors would, would be more likely to give her empty jars. Oil was money back then. It was sustenance back then, okay? You could sell it and make a lot of money. Plus, it provided cooking. It provided lights and for candles and things. So it was very valuable. So he's saying, go to your neighbors. and Don't just ask them to give you freebies, right? We're not looking for handouts. We're looking for God to do something. So go ask them for empty jars. And I'm sure they're probably scratching their heads. Going, what do you want an empty jar for? 
You don't have any oil to put in it. He says, go ask for it anyways. Common sense would tell her that empty jars are useless, but God has a purpose in it. He tells her to borrow many empty jars. Uh, I think he knew as a prophet that God was going to use this to provide for her for a long time. Look at verse 4. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. She was told to shut the door to her house, probably to make the miracle without excuse. No one could say she snuck oil in or they brought oil to her. She brought in a bunch of empty jars into her house and shut the doors. There's nothing but one pot of oil in the house. There's no way to explain this miracle except that God is working something. Verses 5 and 6. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. So she gets these empty jars, and she takes her one jar with oil, and she begins to pour it out. Now, common sense, right? What my, 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 my natural man says, Well, that's stupid. You're just going to transfer oil from one jar to another jar, and then it'll be full, and this one will be empty. But as she began to fill up one jar, what happened? There was more oil coming out. She poured out into another jar. Filled up, more oil coming out. Filled up another jar. Until all of the jars in the house were full, and then the oil stopped. It didn't keep flowing, okay? Uh, uh, miracles are not God's get-rich-quick scheme. This was not a never-ending supply of oil for her. That's why he said, when you go borrow the vessels, don't get a few. Get many. God's going to provide for you in a big way, okay? Have big faith. Sometimes we need to have big faith, don't we? I, sometimes I, like, like what, what, I forget the scripture, I should have written it down. I think it's in Psalms where it says, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it, right? Sometimes I, I think I'm guilty of just opening my mouth just a little bit. Like, ah, I want to see God do something, but I'm not, I don't want to be embarrassed if he doesn't. So I'm, but he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. In other words, take in all that you can take in. Uh, I, I hope I shared it yet. There, there's a meme on Facebook. And it's a picture of a guy getting a jar of candy just poured into his mouth. His mouth is like being held open by some plastic. And it's just pouring, it's pouring it into his mouth to where the candy's just kind of falling out of his mouth. And then it shows the guy in the next picture down going, more please, right? That's how we should be looking at the blessings of God. Like, don't have small faith, have big faith, right? So when God is leading us, right, to do something, we shouldn't do it a few vessels wise. We should do it many vessels wise. Uh, we shouldn't look to God for small miracles. We should look to him for big miracles, earth-shattering, mountain-moving miracles, because that's the kind of stuff that Jesus did. Jesus didn't typically do, or God, even in the Old Testament, didn't typically do small miracles, right? He raised the, was the widow's son from the dead. He didn't heal him of a rash on his arm. He brought him back from the dead, right? Um, he healed a leprous person. Didn't heal a guy with the flu, he healed the lepers, the, the incurable disease, right? Uh, Jesus didn't show up just in time to heal Lazarus and save him from death. He came three days later, or four days later, I don't remember. He came after he died and raised him from the dead, right? That's the God that we serve. And yet when we come at God for miracles, we're like, eh, just slip it in. And he's like, open your mouth wide, right? He's like, go borrow vessels, don't get a few, Get many. Look for the big miracle. Look for the big provision. 
And we see these stories in the Bible, and then we're back to the, the small mouth Christian, right? Just trying to get a little bit. Just trying to get a little bit. He wants to give us so much more than he does give us because we're not willing to receive what he, willing, what he wants to give us. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> That's incredible. We see here in the story a wonderful picture of God's salvation, don't we? That flows so freely as long as there's an empty sinner vessel to receive it. There's no end. There's no end. As long as there's a sinner to receive the grace of God, the grace of God is flowing out. It's flowing out. Even in my own life, even for Christians, right? We go back, don't we, George, to the same sins over and over again, don't we? And then the grace of God just continues to pour out, right? There's never a point where we, like, we sin and we've got to the point where I've sinned so much now, he's just, oh, he's out of oil. No, no, he just keeps pouring that grace back into our lives, doesn't he? It never ends. We see also a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing steadily into a believer who has emptied himself of his pride, self-will, ambition, and dreams, and surrendered himself to the Lord. By the way, he told him to get empty vessels because you couldn't put oil in full vessels. If we're going to be full Christians, I mean full of ourselves, full of our pride, full of self-will, he can't fill us with the oil of his Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we're already full. He needs empty vessels. He needs empty vessels. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill the pious, self-important, self-willed believer, but the humble, empty believer who seeks only God's presence above all else. Verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay the, thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. There would be enough to pay her debts and then provide for her and her sons to live afterwards. Let me encourage you with a few modern examples of this kind of miracle, okay? Because I think we, we tend to think, oh, this happened in the Bible, but this is, this, does, this, this is 2021, man. That doesn't happen anymore. We're not archaic cave people. We're enlightened millennials. Let me read you a couple of stories here. This is from Corey Ten Boom. You guys know who Corey Ten Boom is? Anybody need me to explain who Corey Ten Boom is? I don't think I do, do I? This came from Corrie ten Boom. I will tell you something that happened when I was a prisoner in the, in the concentration camp with my sister, Betsy. One morning, I had a terrible cold, and I said to Betsy, what can I do? I have no handkerchief. Pray, she said. I smiled, but she prayed. <laughs> Isn't that funny? If you read the story of Corrie ten Boom, you know, we think of Corrie ten Boom as this great, like, hero of the faith. But that came later. Like, when she was in the concentration camp, her sister was the hero of the faith. She was the one of little faith. So her sister says, just pray for a handkerchief. Her sister began to pray, and she just smiled and goes, okay, in a concentration camp, I'm sure. Okay, I'll go to the gift shop right now and get one, you know. Pray, she said. I smiled, but she prayed. Father, Corey has got a cold, and she has no handkerchief. Will you give her one in Jesus' name? Amen. I could not help laughing, but as she said amen, I heard my name called. I went to the window, and there stood my, uh, my friend who worked in the prison hospital. Quickly, quickly, take this little package. It is a little present for you. I opened the package, and inside was a handkerchief. Why in the world did you bring me this? Did I ask you for it? Did you know that I have a cold? No, but I was folding handkerchiefs in the hospital, and a voice in my heart said, Take one to Corey Ten Boom. What a miracle. God, can you understand that what that handkerchief 
told me at that moment. It told me that heaven in heaven there is a loving father who hears one of his children on this very small planet asks for an impossible thing, a little handkerchief. And that heavenly father tells one of his other children to take one to Corey Ten Boom. That's what we're talking about in the story with the, the widow. Same thing. How about this one from Corey Ten Boom? Corey had managed to get a bottle of vitamin oil from the Red Cross when she and Betsy were being held at the prison. When the sisters were transferred to Ravensbrook, Corey managed to smuggle the vitamins with them. In Ravensbrook, Corey's inclination was to hoard the precious nutrient for Betsy, whose health was very fragile. But there were so many others who were weak and ill as well. It was, it was hard to say no to eyes that burned with fever, hands that shook with chill. Corey tried to save the vitamins for only the very weakest, but even then, she was doling out drops to sometimes more than 25 women a day. We're talking a small bottle of vitamins. Miraculously, no matter how many people Corey gave the drops to, every time she tilted the little bottle, a drop appeared at the tip of the glass stopper. She tried to hold the bottle up to the light to see how much liquid remained, but the dark brown glass was too opaque for her to be able to tell. While Corey tried to explain the mystery with logic and scientific musings, Betsy urged her to just accept it as a surprise from a father who loved her. Eventually, a young Dutch prisoner who worked at the hospital managed to secure some yeast compound vitamins for the women. From that night on, no matter how long she held the bottle upside down or how hard she shook it, not another drop appeared. Just like the oil, once the need was filled, the miracle stopped. But God provided what was needed in the moment it was needed. Let me give you one more, this time from George Mueller of Bristol. If you know George Mueller, he had, had the orphan homes in England. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring them in. Soon after, there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 children. So these kind of miracles still happen today if our mouth is open wide enough to receive and if we trust God enough to believe that he's going to meet our needs. So let's apply this story. Let me make some application and then we'll be done. Number one, God provides for his people. God, mark that down. God provides for his people. Let me give you a couple of examples of my own life. I brought it up before. The house that we live in. We bought the house in 2015. My mom came to live with us in 2017. She died in 2018. In 2015, we had no hints at all. Her health would decline so dramatically. We had no idea at all that she would come live with us. We thought we were just looking for a house. We didn't look for a house with her in mind. The house we bought has a living room. And next to the living room is a big door that opens into an old garage. It, it was converted into like a family room, which now we use for our bedroom, but back then we used it as a family room. And I realized that after mom died, I realized that, that house was the perfect house 
to take care of her in. Because by having that big door in the middle of the living room right next to our couch, even when we weren't in the room with mom, she was still part of our conversation. She was still part of the family. She wasn't excluded. Any other house, she would have been in a separate room down the hall completely alone most of the time. We didn't know that when we bought the house. In other words, God knew what we would need in 2017, back in 2015, and provided it when we didn't even know what we needed ourselves. We're like a blind person walking through a room, and he's guiding us through by the hand. We don't even know what's coming. I was musing, talking to my wife a while ago about my Christian school, Christian education. and When my parents divorced, my mom couldn't afford for me to go to Christian school. My grandma began to pay for my Christian school. If my grandma had died and she, she, she had been in bad health, she started, her, she started having strokes back around 1994, 1995, and her health began to decline over the years. If she had died, I wouldn't have been able to go to Christian school. I graduated in May of 2000. She died in October of 2000. The Lord kept her around just long enough. And within days of my graduation in May, her health began a, a, a dramatic, just free fall. And she died in October. And looking back, I didn't think about it at the time, but looking back at it now, I'm thinking to myself, if she had died just months earlier, I couldn't have completed my Christian education. God provides our needs. God provides our needs. I think of Noah. God provided the ark. Daniel, he closed the mouths of the lions, didn't he? The three Hebrew boys. Our God can deliver us. But hey, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your God. He didn't save them from the fire, did he? But he walked through it with them, didn't he? Yeah. How about Lot? When he rescued him out of Sodom, where did he go? He had, a place, he had a place for him. And he held back his destruction just long enough for Lot to get out of town. How about Elijah being fed by the ravens, of all things? When the destruction of Jerusalem was coming in 70 AD, God told his people to flee the city when it came, and he gave them a sign in Luke 21, 20-22. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, know that, it's de that the desolation thereof is nigh, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein. For these be the days of vengeance that all things that are written may be fulfilled. What's funny about the, I was thinking about this this afternoon. Not only did he warn them it was coming, okay? He said, hey, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you know that its desolation is coming. Flee, get out, right? When the Roman armies first came, they came and they surrounded Jerusalem. And then they retreated. The Christians began to take that as a sign. We got to get out of here. And they fled. Just after the Christians fled, the Roman army came back and did the final siege, which lasted for about three and a half years. Over a million Jews died in Jerusalem, in the destruction of Jerusalem. Not one Christian died. God provided for his people. God provides for his people. Secondly, faith is one key to receiving God's provision. When I say God provides for his people, he doesn't provide miracles for those who are faithless, for those who are self-sufficient. 
we must have faith to receive what God is going to provide for us. We must have faith. She believed the word of the prophet. Can you imagine if she didn't believe him? It would have been a lot different, wouldn't it? She believed him. Naaman the leper, right? Go dunk seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be clean. <clears throat> oh, he was doubtful. He was like, the Jordan River? That's dirty. All the other rivers are better. But can you imagine if he hadn't believed what the prophet said? Can you believe, he, can you know, if he hadn't believed the word of God and done what he did, he would have died from his leprosy. He had to have faith to receive the miracle that God was doing. How about Jesus in Capernaum? Those chilling, I find it chilling when I read those words. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. God himself in the flesh is present in their town. And he didn't do many mighty works because they didn't believe. How many times in my life does God not do many mighty things because of my unbelief? How many times in our church does he not do many mighty things because of our unbelief? Let's be honest. Faith is required to receive the provision of God. And then thirdly, obedience is the second key to receiving God's provision. She believed the word of the prophet. But what if she didn't go get all the empty vessels he told her to go get? Would she have had the provision? No. Right? Just, just believing is not enough. We have to act on that belief. We have to put feet to that belief. We have to do something with that belief. She obeyed the prophet. If Naaman had disobeyed, he wouldn't have received healing. But let me say something real quickly. Our obedience does not buy the blessings of God. There's a great tendency, especially within our movement of independent Baptists, there's a great tendency to have this idea that uh, we, we, we keep high standards and we keep all these things. And we, we, have, we have all these convictions. We do all these things in order to get the blessing of God. Okay, We're not bribing God with our goodness. Okay, Let me just say that. Okay, We don't obey God saying, well, now God, you owe me because I've been reading my Bible and praying every day. No, that's not how it goes. Obedience to God is necessary to receive God's provision. But God is not obligated to give us anything because we're obeying him. Let's just lay that out. God owes us nothing, ever, anytime, never. He owes us nothing. Okay. But, on the other hand, if we're going to receive provision from God, we must be obedient to the word of God as we know it and understand it. We must be. We must believe that his word is true, and we must act in obedience to him. If we do those two things, he'll provide for his people. He'll provide for his people. Let me finish up here with a couple of concluding thoughts. Like the widow, we need to look to God to meet our needs. Let me say that again. We need to look to God to meet our needs. Stop looking to ourselves. Stop looking to politicians. Stop looking at the economy. Stop looking at the world around you. Look to God. Look to the God who has provided for his people from the very moment of the fall when he made skins of clothing for Adam and Eve. From that point to this point, he has consistently and miraculously provided for us many times in our lives. Sit and think about times in your life that God has met your need that you had that you didn't even know you had. And you'll realize it's happened over and over and over again. 
How many times? There was times when I was taking care of my mom uh, when 20 years ago. I was living down uh, up north. And I, I was literally, she had no money. She, she was trying to fight to get her disability. And I, I would make $500 every two weeks. I sent her 400 of it. And I'd live off 100 of it. I lived at a church on, on church property. And so I, God met my needs. He provided me a place to live where I didn't have to pay my rent, right? But then there was times that mom would call me up and she's like, hey, I, I have an extra bill. I need some extra money. And I'd be like, you know what happened? Somebody called off work last week and I have overtime in this check. And overtime always seemed to come when mom needed extra money. You know why? Because God knew what was coming. He knew what her needs were and he made sure they were met. God always meets our needs. Times that we might think, oh, I did that. I did that. I did that. But if you really sit and think about it, you probably think, you know what? God did that. God knew that was coming. We must believe the word of God and we must obey the word. Claiming to believe God while not acting in obedience is a problem. If we truly believe what God says, then we're going to act in obedience to that word. Listen, if you really believe that dipping in the river is going to heal you, you're going to go do it, right? I mean, why do, you, why, do you, why, why do people take cancer treatments? Because they believe their doctor that that might actually work, right? Can you imagine someone saying, oh, yeah, doctor, that, that'll work. That's a good idea. That's a, that's a good treatment plan. I'm not going to do it. No one does that. So when we look at God and God says to do this, right, we hear a command. We hear the preaching. And God's saying, hey, this is something, something you need to do in your life. We say, eh, no, thank you. I question if we really believe it or not. It's easy to say words, right, that we believe but do we believe? If we do, we're going to be obedient. Evidence that that lady believed that God would provide the oil is that she went out and got the empty jars. That was ludicrous. Why do you want empty jars? You should want full jars of oil to sell. But she believed the word of God and she acted on it. Also know that they went poor doing the work of God. People get into poverty for much worse things than that. Those who spend of their resources for the kingdom of God will never be abandoned by God. In other words, you cannot outgive God. Let's put it that way. George Mueller was a poor man who died with no more than a few dollars on his person at the time. Yet millions of dollars passed through his hands into the work of the orphans and missionary work. Let me leave you with two last scriptures. 2 Corinthians 9, 7-10. For every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness." This verse on giving, I think this is always overlooked when we preach on this verse on giving, right? We, we love the whole God loves a cheerful giver part. But look at the, listen to the, the next part of that. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things. These were people that Paul said gave out of their poverty, right? The church of Macedonia. They gave out of their poverty. They didn't have the money to give and they sacrificed to give to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And God, and Paul is telling them that God is able to give them all sufficiency in all things that they may abound unto all good work. In other words, God's going to provide for you as long as you keep providing for others. As long as you keep giving to the Lord, he'll keep giving to you. He'll never abandon you. He'll always provide for you. Or 
seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Paul is just re- rephrasing what Jesus said in, in, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6. And then he says, God is able to, to that God, the one who ministers seed of the sower, will both minister bread for your food, that is, provide for your daily needs, and multiply the seed that is sown. Proverbs 28, 27, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Look to God for our needs. Believe his promises. Obey his word. Be busy about his kingdom. If we follow those basic things, be busy in God's kingdom. If we're doing that, God will provide for us. If we're being faithful, believing the word of God and obeying the word of God, God will provide for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening. I hope the message came out okay. Clear, Lord. Man, I'm preaching as much to myself as anybody else in this room. (laughs) Oh, far too often I, I barely open my mouth to receive something from you. Too afraid to open it wide. Too afraid it'll be left empty. (laughs) But that fear comes from not believing all these stories in the Bible. You have such a track record of providing for your people. There should be no cause of doubt in my mind that if I open my mouth wide, you'll fill it. Plus, you said that. Help me, Lord, to believe your word. Help me, Lord, to believe what you've promised. Help me to be obedient, Lord. When I'm reading your word and something jumps out at me, Lord, a lot of times I'll see that and I'll say, oh, that hits me right between the eyes and then I just move on. Help me to be obedient in those moments. When I'm sitting and listening to the preaching of the word and the pastor says something that I know applies to my life and my situation, help me to be obedient and act on it. I can't claim your provision if I'm not going to be obedient and if I'm not going to believe. Oh, but you want to provide for me. You want to provide in miraculous ways. Every day you tell me, Rick, go get vessels. Don't get a few, and I come back with one or two. Help me to stop doing that. Help me to bring back armfuls and armfuls of jars for you to fill. Or better yet, help me just to bring back an empty Rick for you to fill. (laughs) Because too often I'm so full of myself and my own desires and my own will and my own whatever to receive what you actually have. And that to my shame. Lord, help us to be a people of faith, people who believe your word, and a people who act on it. A people who do what you command. Help us to be a church, Lord, that looks to you for our provision, not to ourselves not to ourselves, but to you. In Jesus' name we pray and we give thanks. Amen. You guys are dismissed.